Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're breaking down Baltimore as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 278. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles' week six matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. Ben is a gigantic part of the production over here with Eagles' game plan, and with that in mind, we will talk about exactly what went into this week's show, the keys to victory for the Eagles, some big matchups and stats that matter for this game all at the top in Chalk Talk. After that, Ben and I will go through our scouting report segment. And this week, I wanted to focus in on one of the flag carriers on this team, one of the guys that they put the most on and that they they rely on most, and that's cornerback Marlon Humphrey. They just repaid him by making him one of the richest corners in the NFL. So we'll talk all about his game and how he can impact this week's matchup where he will line up really all over the field. But we'll cover all that in scouting report. Before we get into that, though, I got to give you guys a quick reminder. Make sure, go on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, throw us a rating, throw us a comment, throw us a question. We'll answer it here on the show if you're able to come through for us. Really, really, really appreciate everybody who has already done that. And I already mentioned Eagles game plan. Before I get into my chat with Ben, I want to give you guys a little bit of a tease to a segment that we had on this week's episode where I caught up with Eagles wide receivers coach Aaron Moorhead to break down a few plays from Sunday night's game and talk about the buzz of the town in, in wide receiver Travis Fulgham. Here's a small bite from my segment. We call Tape Study, presented by Chickies and Pete's. Well, joining us this week here on Tape Study, presented by Chickies and Pete's, Eagles wide receivers coach Aaron Moorhead. Coach, thanks for joining us here on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about Travis Fulgham. He, he is the, the hot name right now in the city of Philadelphia. He, he joins the squad a, a week or so, a few days into training camp. Interested to see, like, what's it like trying to get a guy kind of up to speed? It was a, a different offseason this year, but when you have a guy kind of join the team midway through camp, what is that like, and how quickly did you realize, like, this is a guy that can make some plays for us? Yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, you're you're really a couple weeks into camp. You've already kind of started moving the pieces around and kind of seeing where you think guys are going to fit, and uh, all of a sudden this guy shows up. And after a few kind of early reps, you're thinking, this guy's pretty good, and he's sharp. He's picking up the offense pretty quickly, and then all of a sudden he makes a play. Then all of a sudden he makes another one, and then he's making another one, and we're doing different looks for the defense, and he's kind of running those scout team type reps, and you know, he's really doing a good job, and you start to take notice quickly. You know, we knew pretty early on he was a guy that we wanted to keep around here and see where it would go, and you keep looking up through the first few weeks of the season, and he's over there on scout team. He's taking every rep. He's not coming out. He's not complaining, and he's just catching everything thrown to him, and it actually, as a coach, made me want to sit over there and watch the defensive scout periods to watch him because of how well he was playing him and, and Deontay Burnett. I mean, they were fun to watch over there, so I went over there uh, and, and would watch those guys, and, you know, honestly, I think we got a really good steal in Travis and, and can't wait to see him continue to grow. What does it say about a guy like Travis that he was able to be moved around to all the different spots on the field in this game, only his second week active with the, with the 53? Well, he's a smart guy, you know, and he's, he's played in a West Coast offense before, so some of the terminology was the same. Some of the route concepts were the same, which helped, but it shows you about who he is as a person. He's a diligent worker when it comes to studying, and he, and he also takes his craft really serious, and uh, every week that he's been here, he's gotten better and just can't wait to continue to see him grow. 
And I love, too, just the, the, the evolution of Greg Ward yes. over the course of his career. Obviously, you've only been working with him now for a few months. What have you seen from him just in, in that short amount of time? I just think he's a guy that is a tireless worker. He's one of the last guys off the practice field every day. Uh, you can see the quarterback in him from college as far as just his understanding of the game, understanding his own defense, his understanding of man coverages. And he just continues to get better. I mean, he's really only been playing receiver a little while. So just having a guy like that on the field from a leadership perspective uh, and also the ability to make plays. If I would have not known he played quarterback in college, that wouldn't have been something I would have just guessed. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's doing that well at wide receiver right now. And let's get to the, the longest play from scrimmage for the Eagles. This was a run play, a 74-yard touchdown from running back Miles Sanders on third and long. Take us through this and really the impact the receivers had on this play as well. Well, you look up, and, and, and we're just going to run a draw. It's third and eight. We're trying to see if we can get something going. We had gone three and out the first two drives, trying to see if we could pop something right here. They got an all-out pressure coming, and Miles does a great job of making the first guy miss. And on the perimeter, you can see right there, Miles makes that guy miss, Travis has got his guy pinned right in the middle of the field, so that guy can't come make the play. And Greg and J.J. are running their guys 30 yards down the field. That's something we practice. That's something we talk about. If the DBs are going to run with you, keep on running them down the field. And as soon as Miles made that first guy miss, we knew all we had to do was finish our blocks on the perimeter, and we have a chance at a touchdown. Greg, I mean, it's unbelievable. Moving his feet, driving, 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 right, running all the way through the guy J.J. out here. I mean, he's running his feet through this guy. He's not stopping. And then the last little piece right there of J.J. pushing his guy down, Miles giving him a stiff arm, an unbelievable run by Miles with some good blocks on the perimeter. And how hard is that for those guys to you – know, you obviously have to give maximum effort, but you also have to play within your technique, not draw a flag. That could be a play killer. How hard is it for those guys to kind of stay within the moment there? I think it, it is hard, but we practice that. And that and that's something that you got to preach all day. And that's not just the, the guys on the outside. That's the guys in the interior. And our line did a great job on that play, getting that thing started. And, and, and Miles did his job. And it shows when, when we put 11 guys on the field that all want to do their job at a high, high, high level, uh, we can – can execute on any play, whether it's a run, pass, draw scheme, zone scheme, play action pass, just a drop back. If 11 guys do their job, we can be as good as an offense as there is in the NFL. It was a great talk there with Coach Moorhead. We broke down a couple plays from the game. I actually kept a couple of things that didn't make it into the show. I was able to get into this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, my chat there with Aaron Moorhead. Eagles game plan will air Friday morning uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. And then Sunday, if you're a local to the area, you can check it out. NBC 10, 10 a.m. here in Philadelphia. All right. Talking about Eagles game plan, let's talk with the guy who is just critical to the production of that show each and every week. That is Ben Fennell. Let's dive into our talk now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back again here on the show to talk through this Eagles-Ravens matchup is my friend Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, this is a fun game to break down, man. Obviously, Eagles fans not really accustomed to watching this Ravens team. Uh, you and I not accustomed to doing as deep of a dive into this Ravens team. So it was fun over the last uh, week and a half to really study them and get a sense of you know their identity on both sides of the football. Obviously, we, we had an idea going in, but really getting into the nitty-gritty and the intricacies of what they do on both sides has been fun, especially trying to prepare our guys for Eagles game plan. And, you know, on both sides of the ball, I feel like we had decent themes to kind of go in. Like, all right, we knew, like, offensively we're going to focus in on Lamar Jackson and the run game, the, you know, the quote-unquote most creative run game 
in the NFL. And then on the defensive side, I mean, it's all about just how multiple they are and that diverse blitz package. So uh, real quickly, I guess, you know, as I mentioned, it's the most creative run game in the NFL. Me and uh, Greg Cosell had a, a really interesting conversation about it earlier this week here on the show. But we talked about how the Eagles would need to stop it. And I thought we got really good in- insight from Ike Reese, uh, you know, just kind of talking about uh, how the, you know, the Eagles would go about trying to attack Michael Vick when he was here in Philadelphia with Jim Johnson and Michael Vick was with Atlanta. I thought he kind of brought an interesting angle to that discussion on the show and in our game prep. Yeah, absolutely. I love hearing that type of perspective from Ike, especially, you know, having to deal with former mobile quarterbacks and there's no better, you know, snapshot than what Michael Vick did to the NFL in the mid 2000s. And you see that from Lamar and the, you know, the the whippy arm, the in and out of structure, the movement in the pocket, the design runs. Uh, but this Ravens team, you know, I got to challenge you a little bit on we don't see them. You know, we see them maybe once every four years in the regular season, see them pretty much every year in the preseason <laughs> and a good That's week true. of joint practices last year. It's so, true, yes. you know, seeing this Ravens team, there's a little bit of familiarity, even though we may only see them. Uh, you know, once or twice a decade in the regular season. No, that's fair. I guess I meant more in terms of like studying them in the games that matter <laughs> and like, uh, you know, getting the X's and O's down with them. But it, it, it is a really fun group. Uh, we got to watch them for a couple of days up close at practice last year. It's a really good point um, for you. And I remember just last year, the big thing that stood out to me, it's just a big team. Like they, they clearly prioritize size like across the board. It's a big, physical, smash mouth, violent football team on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Their offensive line clearly has an identity and a profile and a style that they like, and it really plays into their run game. And it's a gap-based run scheme, so it's a lot of vertical displacement. You need a lot of big bruisers, a lot of people movers, as we like to say. And you go get guys like, you know, DJ Fluker in free agency. You draft Tyree Phillips in the third round. Those are big, brule type of interior offensive linemen. I mean, they got rid of Jermaine Illuminae before the season last year. So the Patriots, similar type of guy. They all have the same profile, just being massive people movers. And, and it's I really guess, fun to see them all on the sideline together, you know, 10, 12 deep, ahead. and they all look the same. And I guess, too, that that goes into, like, the team-building aspect of it is, like, if you know, hey, this is our identity as an offense. You know, we're going we're gonna to run the football. It's going to be all about the threat of the quarterback run. Uh, you know, we're going to play heavy personnel. You're not worried about getting offensive linemen that are going to, you know, be able to survive 60 snaps a game dropping back in pass protection. Like, it, it's more about – you know, can we out physical you up front, run the ball, establish the tone and really kind of get things going. And that's how they built it. Because I think you look across the board there along the offensive line, all those guys coming out, you wouldn't have said, yeah, like, you know, they're great pass protectors. They're dancing bears. That's not necessarily their bag. I think you look at them just playing to their strength. Yeah. And I don't think there's any better picture than, you know, Orlando Brown or right. Tyree Phillips, some of the worst testers, you know, at the combine and pre-draft, you know, Tyree Phillips ran five four, and you know, Orlando Brown might have had the one of the worst workouts we've ever seen. But it fits what they want to do. It fits their profile. They don't run a huge zone scheme. They don't need guys that are you know right around you know four nine speed in the forty, and you know, light in the pants and good foot quickness and the reach three techs and outside zone. And we don't need that. We're not running that. You know, it's a balanced offense. We lean on the running game. It's a vertical displacement running game. We need guys to move people off the ball. If you run 6-1 in the 40, that's great. Can you make get movement on the, you know, on the line of scrimmage in the run game? And I think that's what Orlando Brown brings. 
And I think, too, when you look on the defensive side, it's the same thing that kind of carries over, right? Yeah, they've got just big, strong, physical edges. You know, you look at, uh, you know, Pernell McPhee. You look at Calais Campbell. You look at Matt Judon. He's a little bit lighter than those guys, but he's long and he's physical and he's violent. Uh, you look at the rest of these guys, I mean, it, the, they, they want to win with size and they're going to beat up on you. And in terms of their pass rush, that's where they're, they're going to hit you with speed from the second and third level because they're one of the highest volume blitzing teams in the NFL. And it's really interesting that we played the Steelers last week into the Ravens this week, both AFC North. They have a similar identity. Steelers also a massive offensive line, also a gap scheme run, uh, run offense, and a heavy blitz defense. There's not a whole lot of finesse players on the Ravens or the Steelers. And I go right to the edge rushers. The edge rushers typically will tell you the identity and the profile of your defensive line. And the Ravens and Steelers don't have a whole lot of edge rushers that win with speed. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, you know, you come over here to the, to the Ravens, you have guys like Jalen Ferguson, Pernell McPhee, Matt Judon, Tyus Bowser. These are big physical edge rushers. They don't win with a lot of speed, and they're okay with that. So what do they do to supplant that? We blitz, and we blitz defensive backs at a very high rate. In fact, the Ravens lead the NFL with blitzing, defensive back blitzing, corner blitzing, safety blitzing. I mean, last week, who did we have sacks from? Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Jimmy Smith last week against the Bengals. So just kind of funny to see. And it's okay to not have finesse, speedy players in the box. There's other ways to generate pressure. And the Ravens and Steelers are perfect snapshots on how to do it. No question. So those were kind of the the tent poles that we used to set up Eagles game plan this week and, and make sure you go check that out uh, on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. If you live locally in Philadelphia, uh, it will be up on uh, NBC 10, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. So um, let's real quickly go back to the offense. And, you know, we've talked about how Lamar Jackson is the catalyst of that run game. It's built around him and, you know, and how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. Uh, earlier this, this week with Greg, we talked about all the different run concepts you'll see and how there seems like there's a mesh point with everything. There's a threat, even the, the place where they're not reading, there's the threat of the read and there's the threat of the quarterback keep. You have to respect that every single time as a defender. I want to kind of get your thoughts and it's just kind of like a, from a football one-on-one standpoint, take us through why the quarterback run game can kind of be an equalizer for the offense, you know, because I feel like that's, that's been, uh, you know, I don't want to say in vogue, but we've seen more and more and more of it over the course of the last, you know, five, six, seven years, I feel like it starts with the Wildcat, right? Because the Wildcat, that was one of the big things that you got to see from the Wildcat was that, well, now the guy that's getting the snap can be an impact runner. Why is that such a big deal for the offense? Yeah, you know, kind of just taking a step back, the Wildcat certainly with the Miami Dolphins when they came on the scene with that, but that was really an extension of the Arkansas Razorbacks before that with Peyton Hillis, Darren McFadden, Felix Jones, and that group. And then even before that, it's Urban Meyer at Utah with Alex Smith and then at Florida with Tim Tebow. The quarterback runs, the Wildcat, it's all about bringing balance to the numbers in the run game. And if you have the threat of a quarterback run, that's an extra number for the offense that the defense then has to account for. When traditionally, defenses are not accounting for the quarterback as a number in the run game. He's typically handing the ball off and is not part of the run scheme. He's not a blocker. You don't need to match up his body in the run game. So suddenly, now that the quarterback is a threat to be a runner, you have to account for his number in the box, which then makes the defenses down one less player in the box. They already want to try to play the run against even numbers and not get that extra safety into the box. Quarterback runs 
are the single biggest reason Nick Saban has changed his approach to defense and personnel. Mm. And maybe Johnny Manziel was the one that really changed that whole script, but getting plus one into the box and changing your personnel athleticism on the second and third levels over the last five to seven years have been a major change at Alabama. And a lot of that had to do with Johnny Manziel carving them up in the quarterback run game and the improvisational quarterback movement. You need linebackers and safeties that can run and chase. So there's a lot of kind of different layers to matching up with athletic quarterbacks and matching up with the run game with the threat of a quarterback run. And Bill Belichick has talked about that in the past in regards to Cam Newton. And I know they talked about that when they signed Cam Newton, you know, just how much uh, you have to now get ready for and you have to kind of change things up defensively when you go up against a quarterback that can be that kind of dual threat. It's not necessarily about the dropback scrambles. It's about the designed runs and the, and the, the read runs um, that you're going to get with a, a guy that's able to bring that. And I thought for a good visual for that, we actually talked about that last week on Eagles game plan um, when I talked with the Eagles quarterbacks coach and, and uh, pass game coordinator press taylor we looked at carson wentz's touchdown run against the san francisco 49ers and i kind of asked him the same question just to kind of draw it up for us why that really kind of you know levels the playing field for the offense so make sure you go check that out that was last week on eagles game plan i thought press taylor did a great job of kind of breaking that down for us um you know and to me that's what makes this ravens offense so difficult and you mentioned now what the defense wants to do is, all right, well, to get numbers back in our favor, we've got to make sure that we bring that safety down close to the line of scrimmage. He's got to be there to make sure that we've got somebody to account for the quarterback. And now when that happens, well, now you've got Marquise Brown at 4-3. You've got Miles Boykin at 4-3. You've got Devin DuVernay, 4-4, 100-meter champion at the state of a record holder in the state of Texas in high school. You've got all this speed on the field to be able to try and make you pay. And they run so many. That's The base of their pass game is – Vertical, vertical, vertical. It's all vertical route concepts to try and attack single high safety. Yeah, absolutely. And when you go to single high, you're typically then subjected to play man-to-man or cover three on the outside. And, you know, it could be a track meet with the guys like Hollywood Brown and Devin DuVernay and the speed that the Ravens have put on the perimeter. It's a great balance to what they do in the run game. So real quick now, as we get into this, what was a, uh, a an aspect of this team and of this game that you feel like would have been cool to be able to get into the show that we can just kind of talk about here? You know, because for me, the, the thing that pained me not to be able to get into the show, um, and I actually just posted a clip uh, up on our Twitter page or up on my Twitter page, um, you know, I'll add Eagles XOs uh, about Patrick Ricard, the fullback and Nick Boyle, the tight end and just how instrumental they are to that entire run game, man. I mean, I, and you, you obviously drew the clips up. You telestrated them. It, just what those guys do for that Ravens run game at the point of attack, you know, it, not just setting the tone, but really you know, helping to create lanes for no matter if it's Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, uh, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson. They, those guys are able to follow Boyle and Ricard and they're able to get creases based off those guys and what they can do at the point of attack. I don't think there's a better tandem and non-offensive lineman in terms of blocking in the NFL right now. Yeah, and it was fun drawing those clips up. It was like 12 or 13 plays. All <laughs> of them featured Ricard and Boyle on the front side of run action. Yeah. These aren't accent pieces cut in the backside or you know inconsequential to the, the main front side run action. And when people say, don't block you know defensive ends with tight ends, that doesn't apply to Nick Boyle. 
No. That's why you pay Nick Boyle because of what he does. They aren't accent pieces to the run game. They are the run game. Mm. And it's really fun to watch because they're physical. They get their job done and they don't ever have the ball in their hands when they're doing it. And it's just really fun to see that dirty work. Is there something that you would have liked to uh, us to be able to sneak into the show this week that we couldn't? Yeah, uh, you know, we touched on the run game, just the high volume of gap runs, lead the league in pistol, empty, shifts and motions. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, on the other side, the young linebackers, Queen and Harrison, Patrick Queen leading rookies and tackles and run stops. Um, the one thing off tape I thought was really interesting, I don't know if it warrants a full conversation, was just Lamar Jackson's throwing ability and the awkward arm angles. Oh, my god! In the pocket, out of the pocket. He made some plays going left that we were both watching that were as interesting and impressive as some of these plays of Patrick Mahomes, you know, that pretty much cut into broadcast when it happens. It's such right. a, like, highlight Lamar Jackson or uh, Patrick Mahomes threw a ball going left, you know, from his pocket. And Lamar Jackson had a couple of those. And he could throw little sidearm balls under the arms of defensive linemen. Very whippy arm. It's so similar to Michael Vick. He's really fun to watch. Yeah, and I think too, and I, I think when you look at Lamar Jackson, he he is struggling a little bit as a passer right now, and he I don't know that he'll ever be like you know the guy that kind of carves defenses up with his arm. He can make any throw, and I think when you look at it, the way that he's able to make those pass, uh, complete those passes from off platform, some of that is self inflicted. I said that earlier this week too that you know he kind of gets himself into trouble, and he's got the ability to get himself out, you know, both with his legs and with his arm, but. Man, I mean, this guy can fire it, you know, for from any part of the field and and put it on a guy. Um, you know, the, he's been a little bit erratic at times, especially like outside the intermediate range. Um, but you know, no question. I mean, he, his arm is really, really fun to be able to watch and study. Um, what's what's a matchup that you're most excited about in this game? Well, let's stick right in the conversation of Boyle and Ricard. That means Nick Boyle against you know the Brandon Grams of the world in the run game. He's going to get tasked with blocking defensive ends one on one. Brandon Graham better be ready to battle. And then Patrick Ricard, he's often that lead blocker, kicking out force defenders. A lot of times, those are safeties and corners out there. We watched the Bengals last week where he put corners on their butt three or four times. That could be Jalen Mills out there. And Jalen Mills is a battling defensive back. I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup if they end up going face-to-face, belly-to-belly on who's going to come out. Mm. Because Mills is not shy about contact. He's not shy about being physical, especially in run support. So he's not the usual corner that Patrick Ricard is going to see out there. So I just think Boyle, Brandon Graham, Patrick Ricard against some of our safeties and corners. So just looking at the, the their personnel groupings and how often they're used, they're in 11 personnel, uh, just shy of 50%, 47% uh, round up. We'll, we'll they say lead the NFL in 22, so a lot yes. of multi-back, a lot of multi-tight ends. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that Then you get into it, and it's 22 personnel. That's 19% of the time with two back, two tight end. Obviously, they were a big three tight end operation last year when they had Hayden Hurst, but you know you look at uh, that, that combo of Ricard and Boyle, you got a lot of 22 You've got a lot of 21. You've got a lot of 20. And, and so getting those guys out in the field, um, you know, the Eagles are going to see plenty. I'll be interested to see how they decide to match up to those guys. My guess is we'll see plenty of base with three linebackers on the field, which uh, you'll see plenty of Alex Singleton, Duke Riley, Nate Gary, you know, in that, in that grouping. Um, and honestly, we've seen the Eagles try to match up on certain down and distance. We saw this against San Francisco. It could be second and one at midfield or second and three at midfield. And the Eagles are have four linebackers out in the field. So we might see some more of Sean Bradley as well in this matchup. I feel like they were okay with sending Hayden Hurst to Atlanta because of Patrick Ricard. Yeah. Patrick Ricard is essentially a tight end 
that is often at the wing position, the fullback position, but he'll be in line in a three-point stance as well. And I think Nick Boyle's development is why they had no problem saying goodbye to second-round pick Max Williams out of Minnesota, who was a real, you know, interesting prospect that had a lot of upside in the pass game. Nick Boyle, this kind of nobody at a Delaware late-round pick, suddenly was the guy that can get everything done in the run game. And he can, you know, catch those underneath balls. You know, just his value to the team and Ricard, just really interesting in the ripple effects of the decision-making about other personnel. And that's the thing is that I feel like when he got his contract, Nick Boyle, a lot of people are like, oh, like, what, what are the Ravens doing? No question. They're like, he's caught this many passes and they immediately went to his stats. No, I mean, look, you look at what he does in the run game. I mean, that, and that's it. That's the value. And it, it goes back to the, the team building aspect of this organization. They know what they want to be and they're going to build around that. And they're going to pay these guys accordingly. Um, you know, I talked earlier with Greg this week about the quarterback position. You know, if Lamar Jackson, God forbid, he gets hurt. You look at RG3, you look at Trace McSorley, they're going to run the same offense. It's going to look a little bit differently, obviously, because you know, neither of those guys are Lamar Jackson. But they're not going to have to change things up. Everything is built towards this identity with this thought in mind of this is, this is who we are. And it's all built around Lamar Jackson. I just love when teams kind of have that identity and say, like, this is, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be. Their um, roster building is a great study. And what Ozzie Newsom's done and just the, the core personnel decision makers – uh, and you see it reflected through the roster, through the player identities and the player types at each position. This isn't like a hodgepodge roster of all sorts of shapes, sizes, abilities. They know what they do, they know what they want, and they fill out the roster. So my matchup uh, that I'll be watching in this game is going to be Darius Slay going up against Hollywood Brown. Um, Brown does lead the uh, the Ravens in pass targets. He's got 37. The next best is Mark Andrews with 28. So uh, by, a, by a pretty significant margin, Marquise Brown, their no, you know their number one target uh, in the pass game, and he's the guy that obviously can be that vertical stretch weapon. He is their big play guy. Miles Boykin can be that. Uh, he is actually third in targets with 16. But I think when you look at Brown, uh, his game breaking ability, my guess is he'll see plenty of Darius Slay. Uh, on Sunday at Lincoln Financial Field. So that will certainly be the matchup uh, that I will be most intrigued to see. Brown has looked pretty good, um, you know, when, when given the ball. He's just not going to be a high-volume target because of the nature of that offense. But uh, he is a guy that obviously you have to have an understanding of where he is and what he can do anytime he, uh, he's on the field. The other part of this, too, uh, you did hint at it earlier. You know, they're number one in the, in the league right now in motion and in jet motion. So I think, you know, while they, they don't have a ton of receiver runs on tape, you know, we saw one last week in the opener uh, or in the opening drive rather against Cincinnati. Devin Duvernay went like 37 yards. I would expect that to be a part of the the game plan for them here this week, given what um, you know the issues that the Eagles have had covering those kinds of runs. You know, it's kind of interesting as well to keep reflecting back to the Steelers, Ravens, us playing the Steelers and Ravens, AFC North. They have so many kind of reflective mirroring uh, players as well, like the way. Chase Claypool, size, speed at a Notre Dame. Who do they have? Miles Boykin, size, speed at a Notre Dame. You know, similar type of usage in the offense. Don't sleep on. He's not a big part of the offense, just like Chase Claypool really wasn't a big part of the offense until he was. So Miles Boykin's a guy that's not super involved, but a lot of ability, a lot of size, a lot of speed. We don't want to be his coming out party. So, you know, he's another guy in that receiver room with a lot of interesting parts. You know, Hollywood Brown, the two rookies, you already mentioned Devin DuVarnay. How about James Prochet yep. out of uh, Southern Methodist, sixth-round pick? They did a great job in the draft. So let's go to uh, your favorite stat of this week. When you look at it from a number standpoint, is there something that stands out most to you from this matchup? Yeah, a couple things. I'm just going to run off really fast. Ravens, the highest 
cover zero in the NFL hmm. at 12.7% and then nearly 25% on third down. Now, the interesting thing is the Eagles really haven't faced cover zero this year. They're kind of near the bottom having faced it. So it's going to be kind of a new scheme for Carson Wentz to diagnose, especially those free hitters beating the blitz, especially with his arm is going to be key. And then just all those kind of Ravens offense stuff first in the NFL and pistol unbalanced lines shifts in motion, 22 personnel, they're third and empty. So there's going to be some different type of looks and run schemes. We haven't seen the Ravens are a unique run scheme or a unique run offense. So what we're going to see this week may not bleed into the rest of the year for us, but that's what makes the Ravens so tough to stop. You mentioned unbalanced line. Can you give the listeners just a, uh, a quick definition of what an unbalanced line is? Yeah, so um, traditionally uh, offensive line will feature, you know, your center, your two guards, your tackle, and a balanced symmetrical set. A lot of times the Ravens will take one of those tackles and move them to the other side of the offensive line. The Eagles have also done that in the past with Peters and Lane. It's typically referred to as tackle over, or they just load up personnel on one of the sides of the line, making it an unbalanced line from a defensive perspective and trying to match up strengths and weaknesses. Yep, so that for the defense, that means now your, your, whole, your gap uh, responsibilities can, can change. It does not, they don't, not every defense will react that way, depending on who you've got on the opposite side. But, uh, you know, we've, we've talked with coaches in the past, you know, when they come in for uh, Eagles game plan, it's like, you know, now you kind of create a run strength and a pass strength. So uh, you can do a lot of different things out of it. Um, you know, and that's something certainly we'll see, I would imagine. And, and typically, typically defenses, to react to that, they'll change – who they declare as the center. Right. So usually the center is that middle point of your offensive line. If the offensive line is unbalanced, their middle point may not be the guy snapping the ball. Yep, that's, that's a really good point. Um, so to, to me, I actually pulled a stat this week here, Ben. Uh, I kind of looked back at, and this wasn't necessarily a stat. It was more just kind of going back and charting. Looking at Jalen Hurts and all of his snaps so far uh, here with the Eagles, and he's been on the field for 12 snaps, and out of those 12 snaps, the Eagles have gotten six first downs. You know, Miles, Miles uh, Sanders has averaged six yards per carry when Jalen Hurts is on the field. Jalen Hurts himself has averaged just under nine yards per carry when he's taking the rock. Uh, they're averaging, the Eagles as a team are averaging 14 yards per completion, one completion from Wentz, one from Hurts, uh, whenever Jalen Hurts is on the field. The downside is the two balls have been on the ground. One was a bad exchange between him and Miles Sanders. Another was a bad snap between he and Jason Kelsey. That was in the San Francisco game. So I'll be interested to see if they continue to expand. We have seen uh, like a different layer of the onion pulled back every single week here, uh, starting in week two against the LA Rams. I'm interested to see them continue to expand on it because it's look, it's, it's been successful for them, right? And just for a team that continues to have these injuries, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, what the status is. We're recording this right after Doug Peterson's press conference on Wednesday. Um, so it's still early in the week for us, but we'll continue to watch the status of uh, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey. You know, Jalen Rager is going to be on the way back soon. Dallas Goddard in a few weeks. But I think until those guys are fully healthy and this team is hitting on all cylinders from that standpoint, you got to find ways to create some chunk plays. And I think Jalen Hurts has shown when he's on the field, that creates a, a new opportunity for you. Six first downs and 12 snaps you, that you're kind of cooking there. Um, you know, so as they're you know, continuing to groom him as a backup quarterback and use him in that role, using his skill set to your advantage, I think it definitely behooves the coaching staff. Uh, yeah, so there, are, there are pockets of creativity in the course of Eagles games. There's obviously issues with execution and some you know, other you know, factors into it, but you can pull a good five to eight plays in every Eagles game where you're like, oh, that's an interesting wrinkle. That's a cool formation. That's a different personnel grouping. Keeping defenses off balance, that's something Doug's always been good at. 
No question. All right, man. So I'm going to ask you now, empty out your notebook here. Anything around the league that has caught your eye that uh, is worth talking about? Yeah, a couple things. Um, 49ers quarterbacks, bit of a cycling cast of characters right now with Nick Mullen, CJ Beathard, Jimmy Garoppolo. They have 208 dropbacks on the season, Fran. They have right. one, one scramble. This team is a through-and-through through structured offense. I mean, right. Tom Brady has two scrambles. Who leads the league in scrambles? Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, as expected. Russell Wilson, he's my MVP right now. Mm. He has an 85.4% adjusted completion percentage. 85%. That takes away the drops, the throwaways, the spikes, the batted balls. This guy is on an absolute tear. They're 5-0, and clicking, really fun game on Monday night, beating the Vikings late. Cleveland Browns, their run game is getting a lot of attention. They're 3-1 and one rolling. Miles Garrett is tied for the most QB pressures in the NFL with Aaron Donald. He is on an absolute tear, playing on both sides of the defensive line, lining up at three-tech. He's unblockable. All you can do is get the ball out. So he's playing really well. Patrick Queen leading rookies in tackles and run stops. We'll see him this Sunday with the Ravens. Another interesting stat, yards after catch. Dallas, way in front. He's getting the ball out of his hands to the C.D. Lambs and Michael Gallops and Cooper Quick, yards after catch. Cleveland, way last in yards after catch. They're just chucking it down the field, a lot of shot plays. So just interesting kind of conflicting offensive styles there. Dallas, lots of yak. Cleveland, no yak. But Cleveland's 3-1 and one and rolling with the run game, and they love mm. pushing the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of established that identity early on, right? It's shown that this is what we're going to be, and they're, and they're playing to that, uh, which, again, good on, the, good on their part. I'm thinking uh, as defenses try to get some more bodies in the box to stop the run, now let's work the quick game to the perimeter, get the yards after catch with Jarvis and uh, Odell. Sure. Uh, all right, man, let's, uh, let's wrap this conversation up. But let's move in to our next segment. It's time for our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben. So this week for Scouting Report, I really wanted to take a look at Marlon Humphrey, who is one of the blue chip players, one of the best players for this Ravens defense and really for this Ravens football team. You know, he's over six foot. He's over just around 200 pounds uh, when he came out of Alabama. And I don't know about you, but like I remember watching him. He was so fun to study. He was so unique because he was so violent and so competitive against the run. One of the best tackling corners I'd ever watched. One of the toughest corners I'd ever watched. He had legit speed. I mean, he timed 4.37, and that speed showed up on the football field. Um, I thought he was faster than he was quick. I thought there was a little bit of stiffness there. But overall, uh, this guy was an explosive, violent player, great run defender. My number one question that I got hung up on with him was his ball skills. I thought he was really slow to be able to try and find it. He didn't always uh, do a great job of finding it. Once he did turn his head, he just had issues finding the football, and that showed up uh, in the production department as well. He only had 18 ball disruptions, five picks uh, in 29 starts, which is a, it's a low number. So I, to me, like watching Marlon Humphrey, I couldn't get past that. But then what's interesting to me is now you look at how he's used. If, you're, if I'm watching college corners and I'm saying, okay, you know, one of the issues I have is his ball skills, I kind of, if I see like he's going to be a slot corner, I'm not necessarily as worried about it because you don't often see, see you're going to get slot fades and vertical routes from the slot, but you're not often being put in a position where you have to find the ball late if you're a slot corner. And now I'm looking at Marlon Humphrey and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, with the way that they play, the amount of zone coverage, he uses an underneath zone defender plenty and he spends a ton of time in their slot, both in nickel and dime. They're 85% sub-packaged football team, so the, he is their slot corner. It kind of masked the fact that he had issues finding the ball down the field outside. And I, I think that that's, again, really, really interesting uh, when you're talking about the projection of Humphrey from Alabama to the NFL. 
Yeah, and that's such a natural trait, that finding and locating downfield. He really struggled with his back to the ball, and there are several examples of it. Some of my other negatives with him, he's a little grabby, a little too hands-on, some penalties, but you love his physical presence. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's really just a two-year player at Alabama, one-year starter, dealt with a toe injury, had a hamstring injury. He allowed 50% completions, five yep. touchdowns allowed in two years. You know, he had some lapses in coverage, not tons of plays on the ball, like you had mentioned, but going to the pros, the ideal size, length, speed, polished footwork, excellent tackler, aggressive around the line of scrimmage. He played 900 snaps off the bench as a registered freshman, so only a one-year starter, but that didn't mean he wasn't a player and a big-time player for him that first year. In fact, his first year starting, I remember redshirt sophomore, USC, huge hit out in the flat. That really uh, opened my eyes to him and his physical play. But the press man, you know, pedigree, the zone pedigree, he's a great cover two corner because he's tough. He could be a force defender. He could plant, drive, burst, finish plays in the flat. He just looked like an ideal press man corner with uh, with speed and size. It was just the down the field. So a lot of people thought, oh, is he a free safety? Is he right. Jason McCordy? Let's just, you know, put him on the back end and make him a center fielder. I was one of them. I, I kind of thought that was his best transition. It was I easy, it was easy to project that. And yeah. I remember that's what Mike Mayock was saying on the set to Urban Meyer, you know, or uh, David Shaw or whoever was on the set with us for the draft and just talking about, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to impress man. Maybe just keep his eyes on the quarterback as a free safety, like, you know, the way uh, Jason McCourty was used or Devin McCourty or even Ladarius Webb going from corner to free safety for the Ravens a couple of years ago. Um, that's kind of the the countering move for corners that struggle to find the ball. But mm. I think he's used his size and physicality enough, um, especially when he's at a phase and not finding the ball. He's still going to beat you up. He's going to rake that catch point and go play the ball and play your hands. And I think he kind of likes playing that way as well. I think so. And just that's what really stood out to me. And really, I guess, uh, taking this discussion to another level, talking about just ball skills in general for defensive back, I feel like you can split it up into two categories. And we talked about this earlier this offseason um, with the Eagles defensive backs coach, Marquand Manuel, is you split those ball skills up into two categories. It's almost like the receiver position. You've got the ball tracking and then the playing the ball in the air and you know finishing at the catch point. And I look at that with Humphrey, and when I watched him at Alabama – he struggled in both phases. Like I could, you could forgive the the second one. Like you know, you always hear like the line, "Oh, that's why he plays defense, right?" Like he's got <laughs> rocks for hands. But it was the the tracking the ball and having the timing to be able to, hey, like I'm I'm out of phase. Let me get back hip to hip, not panic. Once I'm back in phase, turn my head, find the football. He was just slow to be able to do that. But again, when you look at his usage now in Baltimore. That's not that's not going to be a consistent issue for him because he's not used he's not put in a spot where that's going to be a, a problem. And uh, to me, like again, just putting we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when we, the Eagles were getting ready to play the LA Rams. We were talking about Cooper Cup and you know all the you know, the big issue for him coming out. Oh, uh, he can't really beat the jam. Is he going to be able to you know get, defeat press coverage? All right, well they're putting him in a spot where he doesn't have to beat press coverage. They're gonna they're gonna use him in the in the the, the stacks and bunches and rubs and they're gonna do all these things to guarantee those free releases. When I look at how Baltimore uses Humphrey, that kind of masks that number one issue you had about him, and now he's one of the richest corners in football. Yeah, absolutely. I think they've really been happy with it, and I think he was worth every cent they paid him, and pretty much moved Jimmy Smith to a no man's land position. He kind of had to go and be the safety because, uh, you know, you have Marcus Peters, you have Marlon Humphrey, great cornerback tandem. And then Jimmy Smith with his size, kind of a good fit just to move over to that big nickel, you know, safety position for them. 
Yeah, again, this is a team that plays 86% of the time, 87% of the time in their sub package between nickel and dime. They're, they're, I believe, the number one dime team in football, Ben, I believe, um, or something like that. They're up there. They're up there, yeah. Yeah, they're up there in terms of their dime usage. So, um, you know, uh, plenty of time you're going to see, most of the time, you're going to see Humphrey inside. Uh, depending on which nickel package they're in, you're either going to see Jimmy Smith on the outside uh, or Anthony Averett, and you're always going to see uh, Marcus Peters over on the other side. It's a it's a good group, man. And they, they made a play to get some vets, too. You can't forget, they got Calais Campbell in the offseason. Yep. They got Derek Wolf in the offseason. Yeah. These are just, for lack of a better word, what we call hired guns, the guys that can step in and play on the drop of a hat. You know, and Calais Campbell's played a lot of snaps in this league. He made a really nice play in week one or week two. They zone dropped him out, got in a passing lane, forced an interception. He's a fun player, huge smile, infectious type of personality. I'm just really excited to watch him this weekend. He was at uh, the the Von, at Von Miller's pass rush summit that I was lucky enough to kind of participate in. He was, I was just really really impressed with him and um, you know kind of the way, the mental approach he takes to the game. He talked a lot about just pass rush skill and you know pass rush plans and things like that. It was he was really really awesome and just kind of coming away really really impressed with him. A couple other guys, but uh, Calais Gamble uh, certainly. And to me, like honestly, watching him, even though he's uh, he's obviously a little bit long in the tooth. Dude, I, I would say he's been their most disruptive player in the front seven so far. Like, I know, think they know what they're done. getting with him. Man. Yeah, it's no also question. tough to forget, or I forget, Pernell McPhee making his way back yeah. to Baltimore. He went yeah. Baltimore, Chicago, Washington, and now he showed up back there last year. Uh, really tough edge player. He's going to be off the edge at 280 pounds. Right. He's a heavy, heavy edge presence. It's a big team, big physical team, man. Well, Ben, uh, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. You can always check out me and Ben twice a week over on the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. We're, t- we're having these conversations every single week over there uh, as well. So, Ben, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you next week. Before I get to my interview with Greg Ward, it's really, really important to me that I talk to you guys about voting. Now, you have likely heard a ton of conversation this year about mail-in voting, and it's been a huge topic because due to COVID-19, millions of Americans are going to be voting by mail this year, many more than in years past. So with this being an election year, it's going to take extra time to count and certify those mail-in ballots. And I want to start this off by saying voting by mail is perfectly safe, but you've got to make sure that you do everything correctly. The rules for mail in ballots change from state to state. Here in Pennsylvania, the deadline to request one of those ballots is October 27th. So that means that we are 12 days away as I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, October 15th. In Delaware, that deadline to request is just a couple days later. It's October 30th. If you live in New Jersey, a mail-in ballot is actually going to be sent to all active registered voters. So you can choose to fill it out and send it if you want to just do that. My point is that it's important to know that all of your state's laws are different. Depending on which state you live in, it changes all across the country. If you are interested in voting by mail, don't just wait for that ballot to show up because you might have to request it. Hopefully the deadline has not passed yet. And once you get your ballot, it's really important to just complete and return those things as soon as possible. I told you, millions more people will be voting this way this year. So rather than have your envelope getting backlogged and kind of thrown on top of the pile on November 3rd, if you don't want that to happen to your, to your ballot... Many jurisdictions actually offer drop box locations where you can just drive up, drop your ballot off into a secure drop box. Before you do that, you want to make sure you seal that thing in a secrecy envelope that those are provided in the package with the ballot. Just follow all the instructions that you get with it. You might have to fill it out with a certain color pen. You might have to you have to make sure you have signed along all the different lines where you have to make your mark. Just make sure all the instructions you get, follow them to a T, and then you can put that thing in the mail, and then you feel good that you were able to vote. Remember, a 
100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election four years ago. Do what you can to help us lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Great stuff once again from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at BenFennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating or leave us a comment. That's the best way to throw us your support now. As we're getting into week six of the NFL season, really appreciate everybody that can continues to do that. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.